And um, if you don't know these amazing people, uh, I moved to Cape Town. Actually, before I moved to Cape Town, I met this amazing man up in Pretoria. He's always got good shoes. Socks on the fence sometimes, but... Um, <laughs> But um, I met an amazing man who was at the time leading a church community in camps in the city, in Cliff Street, and um, pioneering for Jesus and, and laying his life down and um, had done that his whole life. And then um, things changed and he ended up here at Life Changes in 2014, 15. And so it's been a long journey on staff, preaching and leading and, and seeing things done in the life of the church for about two years. And the last two, three years been in the marketplace and uh, we are saying goodbye to this couple as they move to Malawi. Yeah. And um, if you don't know where Malawi is, you need to look at a map. I'm not going to explain it, but it's an incredible country that an opportunity has opened up for them to go and pioneer and, and see what God has for them and their story. And uh, besides stating the obvious that we're going to miss you immensely, I, I just want, I've told you in private, but let me tell you in public, I absolutely love you. And... Um, and uh, I really do. There's a very, very soft spot in my heart for you, Edwin. And uh, I know that you are also a man who's a pure man. You've loved the Word of God. You've held a line through your life. Um, and I know whatever steps you take, God will go ahead of you. He's already profoundly provided. And um, we're grateful to him. But why don't you just say a few words and share what you guys... Okay. Um, hello, Life Changes. This is my wife, Salumi, and she's going to share um, absolutely nothing, because <laughs> I'm the head of the house. Um, that's, that's just a joke. So um, we, we, we have loved this community. Um, we've found friendship. We, we, we um, have been loved well. And if you, this is a place with responsible leaders. So you might be New Year. Um, or just checking in or whatever, one thing I can assure you that these guys, um, even though there are humorous moments at times, they are not cowboys. Um, they, they, take, um, they take the serious. Um, there's lots of different opportunities in the world, and, and they, they've given, given it to, to serve you. And uh, I assure you it's not glamorous, um, but it's a joy, and, and, and I know that for a fact. So my wife and I, we, we're heading to Malawi. We're going to run a retreat on Lake Malawi, a lodge, and um, it's just, it's, it's a dream. We didn't work for it. We, we didn't uh, do anything for it. Um, we prayed for it, and uh, it came across our path, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, without a doubt God um, just uh, giving us a, a beautiful opportunity, and, and we're looking forward to it and grabbing it with both hands. And, and we love and treasure um, this community, and we're unbelievably grateful for the way that we've been treated with respect, dignity, and that we've been honored um, by so many people, and, and we really appreciate this, uh, this beautiful community. Thank you. Amazing. Can we actually, can we, can we stand together? And I'm going to ask Ed and Salome to stand. I, I don't know about you, but for me, this couple came in the front door, and we're going to send them out the front door with the power of God upon them. And, and if you're friends, Dimitri and Simone, why don't you guys come, Mark, come close and lay hands on this couple. We're going to send them out. And reach out your hands to them if that's okay. It's just something we do to say we're part of this. We, we're reaching God. Uh, we, um, yeah. we thank you for the gifts that you give. And you, a number of years ago, sent a gift to this community. And this couple we send out as gifts. 
for your kingdom, for your glory, for your power. And as they go, God, we, as their friends, we bless them. You've provided, you always will. You are faithful. And I know this man and woman have lived lives of sowing seed for your kingdom. I pray that they would see the abundance. They would see your favor go before them. And that Malawi would not be the same again because Edwin and Salumi are there. And I pray the desires and dreams upon their heart, not just for business, but um, the community they will lead and the people that they will lead to you. And preaching a word, I, I know this man's days of preaching a word are far, far, far from over. So I declare your goodness, your grace, and your power over them as they go. We thank you, God, for this couple. We bless them in abundance, God. Amen. Amen. Bless you, guys. It is good. It is good. One more thing. I, I, every time you come to our church, I say something, and I'm allowed to do that. But can you just stand for a second? This is Conrad Cooper, and, um, and he's an amazing, amazing man who's based in Durban and um, helps us and is the big daddy, I suppose, is the best description to our uh, Monday night recovery program. And you might not know it, but on a Monday night, there's about 50 people in that room who are recovering from addiction. There's about 40 people in the room or 30 people next door. And then there's some kids in the room over there who are the family and the kids of those fighting addiction. And um, we had amazing people with passion and zeal and a desire to see something change in that area. And then God sent us a gift and said, I need you to receive this gift. And the gift is Conrad Cooper and their team out of Durban of skilled, highly skilled, highly equipped people in this specialist area to see freedom and life come. And so we are so grateful and what you have given us. And um, it goes more than a program. Two weeks ago, I phoned Conrad, a friend of mine was in trouble. And uh, this man who was in Cape Town or tra traveling at the time had one or two days in Durban before he traveled again because he's a very busy man. He said, I've got a space on that day. If he can get to Durban, I can sit with him and be a part of their process. And I just want to honor you, it's not just about the explosion of Exodus around the nation, um, but actually it's about the ones too. And we'll celebrate that story, and we'll celebrate the many. And I hopefully hundreds and thousands of stories we'll see through this project in our city, in our nation at this time. But I honor you, I thank you for your kindness and generosity to us. So thank you. It is good. So if you're visiting the life of the church, two weeks ago we spoke, it was our Vision Sunday, and, um, and then last week was the launch, so we didn't have the evening meeting. But I want to make sure we're on the same page together. If you're saying, well, what is this church on about? It's on the wall so that I can't forget it, so that we, none of us can forget it. That's what we're on about. We want to reach people who are far from Christ. And we don't exist just to entertain Christians on a Sunday, make sure Christians enjoy their journey to heaven one day, and we get there and we sue all our mates. No, we want to reach those who are far from the love and, and the touch of this King who heals, restores, and redeems. That's top of the list. Then we want to raise them up in Christ and see them raised up from brokenness to healing, from death to life, from broken marriages to whole marriages that can minister and bring life, from people who don't know what it is that they can even worship God to worshipers of the King of Kings. And lastly, to release them wide, to Malawi, to, for business, for, for kingdom advancement, for young people to go into places of the world where they write back and say, actually, this place has changed because I'm here because God did something in a family called Life Changes. So if you want to know what we want about, that's it. Linked, you'll hear more. But then we said, actually, this year we feel it's our 21st birthday. 
it's a pretty cool time of life. It's like a very cool time of life. God's got some adventures for us. He's got some maturing stories for us. He's got some things He wants for us. And, and part of that 21st, we pursued God and said, what is something of a word, something of an encouragement for this time? And we felt He led us to John 10, which is this incredible picture and scripture of Jesus describing Himself as the gate, as the way, as the good shepherd who leads us and guides us. Uh, I've done it before. So I'm gonna, can you say this? I am a sheepy. That's what the Bible says we are. That's what Jesus says we are. And um, they're not the most beautiful animals. They're not. They're not the most fragrant smelling animals. They're um, not the brightest animals. If one of their mates walks off the cliff and they see their mate walk off, they don't go, I'm going to stop here. This is a bad idea. They walk. If they fall on their back, they roll over, they are unable to get themselves back up. They have no ability to get themselves off their back and up. They are stuck there until the shepherd comes and picks them up. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get an over-opinionated self-impression. It's like, wow, you've got this. Jesus reminds us that actually we don't got this. We got a good shepherd who's got this. And when we understand that, we start walking in that. We start following him. We start trusting him. We start seeing his life. And this is what he says in this amazing scripture. I'm not going to read the whole thing just for time. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters, verse 9, through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He's speaking to a bunch of Pharisees, those who are far from God. He's saying, guys, there's more than just life in me. He goes, Actually, there's a battle at hand. The day you put your hand up for Jesus to be king and savior of your life, you didn't just enter the utopia of Christendom. Nothing can ever touch me. Cast the devil out of Cape Town. No, the devil's in Cape Town. He's working his darndest to see you just need to come here on a Monday night to know that. He is robbing and stealing and looking to destroy. He's breaking up marriages and lives and relationships and, and, and dreams. He's shouting. That's what he does. And Jesus says, well, you can choose to partner with that or you can follow the good shepherd who gives life. And then the most amazing thing is this comma. I don't mind you, but if I'd taken more interest in commas at school, I probably would have performed better at school. I've never been so interested in a comma and all my, this comma is comma and life to the full. I want to make sure we're all on the same page because this year we're trusting God for abundant life. Not some uh, prosperity message. Too much of us have thrown out, well, the prosperity guys, you. no, it's Jesus. That's what Jesus says. He says, I give you life. Thank you, Lord. But if it's just life for one day, like a safety blanket for heaven one day when I get there, I got Jesus. No, he says, I give you life, and I give you life in abundance. Our dream in the recovery program in Exodus on Monday night, if not just people get life, which is just get off drugs. Just get off whatever addiction is holding you. That's not the dream. That's too small a dream. The dream is they would step into the abundant life, finding the good shepherd, that they would become life givers to the world around them. Why? Because they've encountered the authentic love of heaven. And it touches every part of life. It touches broken marriages. It touches lives where despair and despondency have come upon us. But as I realized we've preached this and we've engaged this, I sat with a gentleman two weeks ago. He said, that sounds awesome, Mark. See, I never actually fully got that, so I didn't actually believe it. The problem is when we take scriptures like this, what Jesus teaches about himself, and we don't actually believe it, we'll never step into it. And then we'll read it, we'll go, hey, Jesus, what happened in my life? Where's that abundance? 
don't know why I did that. <laughs> but it's Sunday. It's been a long day. <laughs> We're gonna, whoa. But he says, where, Jesus, is this abundance? I don't see it in my marriage. I don't see it in my friendships. I don't see it in the marketplace. I don't see it in my ability to succeed in school. I don't see it, Jesus. Where's the abundance? And most of the time, I would tell you, it's because we don't actually believe it. Our thinking determines our steps. What we believe about Jesus determines how we follow him. If we see him as this ruthless judge on a judge seat, I'm telling you, we'll be cowering before God all the time. But if we see a father in heaven who gives his son and his son in given to us, gives us life and life in abundance, if we believe it, we'll start walking in the ways of abundance. But I've realized it's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to have a strategy to walk into it. And um, part of my job as a Bible teacher is to take people to, word, to the Word that, that shouts His Word and say, what are the strategies in the mind? If we mind them out in His words, what are the strategies? Because when I hear the gospel, the gospel shouts to my smallness of things. It says, don't stop. Don't stop. So many people have stopped. It's like, I've had a pain. I've had a brokenness. So I'm just stopping. If I don't move, maybe the enemy will just leave me alone. If I'm just I stick my head in the sand and stop trying to pioneer, stop trying to be faithful to God, the enemy will just leave me alone. Sorry, but it doesn't work like that. There's no white flag in this battle. There's no etiquette of battle. There's just an enemy who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. Others, I, I'm, I'm just going to struggle. I'm going to keep struggling. I'm going to try harder at this Christian life. And we get this white-knuckled Christianity that leads to no life. And we scrape into heaven going, yes, God, that was hard. That's not the design either. We, we have to access the abundant grace that abounds. And, and even where sin abounds, it says actually grace abounds even more. Where, his, where there's challenge and trial, says there's, his grace abounds even more. When we access and we believe it, we start accessing it. And the last thing the gospel shouts is don't settle. It's the curse of our age. We're happy to watch other people's stories play out on the TV, but we'll just settle here. Why? Because it's comfortable and convenient. No one's really taking too much notice of me. Jesus had a chance like that. The devil came to him. He'd been fasting for 40 days. The devil puts everything in front of him on earth and says, you can have all of this. But Jesus knew his father. He said, why would I settle for this when I can have this in my father? What do you know of God? I want to tell you who Jesus is. Life. And life in abundance. But I want to give you something of a strategy to access that life. And one of them I found, I saw it in Hebrews 12. It's this incredible scripture written to a church that was somewhat tired of their journey. And the challenge is sometimes of the church, we haven't walked in the fullness. We still realize sometimes there's still battles and trials. Sometimes there's still all these challenges. The Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews writes to this church to encourage them, to exhort them, to call them. Who could do it in encouragement tonight? Say, actually, Mark, I love the abundant life thing, but yeah, I don't know how to get there. It's like there's no path. I check Google, it's not there. I'm going to show you what Google can't tonight. Is that all right? <laughs> Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. 
See, when you took communion tonight, it's a moment to consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I know I preached some of this last week in the morning. If you're here, I apologize. But I want to make sure as a church, we're on this journey together. I actually prepared a whole nother preach on abundant grace. You'll get it. I promise you. But I wanted to make sure that as a church, we're on this journey together, that we understand what the pursuit is. Why are we fasting? Why put things aside? Why put things we desire aside? Well, number one is because I desire him, and I want to be desired by him. Daniel was this man who had favor upon his life, and in Daniel chapter 10, verse 11, it tells us that he gave up desired foods, and he became desirable to God. I want to be desirable to God. This is not just doing church. This is not just ticking a box. This is seeing the transformation and change that God has for us. But I want to read the same scripture from the message because Eugene Peterson finds an incredible way to put this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Say this, we'd better get on with it. There's a, we better get on with it for every one of us. There's a challenge to each of us. There's a temptation to not get on with it. But he carries on, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race. We're in. And he carries on. It's spectacular. But I think there's a sneaky little strategy for accessing abundant life. I don't know, Jew, but have you ever seen someone who doesn't know how to use an ATM? Stand at the ATM. You're generally in the rush when you experience it. But they stand at the ATM and they look at it and think, hmm. This thing's got money for me. It's in. Ah, you can see they get nervous. Then it's like a whole, ask a whole bunch of things. What's your pin? Ah, they're checking the pin. They got the paper with the thing on the other side. It's just a, they're just trying to get their money out. But the, their money's there. It's theirs. They just can't access it. Sometimes we're like that. We're standing there saying, God, I, I know this is good. I know you are good. I believe it. I'm just stuck, been stuck for a while. Three things that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Number one, strip down. The Hebrew, in NIV, puts it this way. Let us throw off everything that entangles. Don't worry, I'm not going to strip down. It's not that kind of church. It's Sunday. Maybe if church was Saturday, but this is Sunday. No, but the writer of Hebrews writes, says, actually, strip down. And he, he challenged us. He says, we live in a world where the one with the most stuff wins. And I'm not just talking in economic terms. And we know that to be true. It's like if I die with my Lamborghini and my Porsche and 17 cars and a whole trust fund, I've done well in this life. There's some kind of weird thinking in the world. But I want to talk more around spiritual terms because the abundant life starts with my spiritual life. That there's a call to abundance, but yet the right of you is right. Well, why won't you strip down? In your spiritual life, what do I mean? Well, I think in the same way we like collecting cars and stuff and things, we like collecting spiritual stuff like baggage, like brokenness and pain and disillusionment and disappointment and unforgiveness and a whole bunch of things. And I think the writer of Hebrews says, you want to access abundant life? Strip down. Strip it down. Oh, but I really like that one pain that marks me and, and, and gives me identity, and I find so much life in it because people love talking to me about it. And I'm saying, I'm not trying to make it small. I'm just telling you, your victory is in Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus and try to strip it down. And watch His grace respond when you respond in faith to the Word of God. 
And I'm tired of sitting with people who for 50 years have carried the disappointment and disillusion of a father who spoke a word over them. And at 70 years old, they're still processing the word of a father. Why? Because my father has spoken for another 50 years a different word, a better word by the blood of Jesus over my life. And either I choose to believe it or I wear it like a badge of honor. And you know what it does? It slows me down. So I can't just get on with it. I just can't. Why? Because I'm wearing this cloak and it's so heavy. It looks amazing and people notice it. But I want to run and I can't run. I want to step into abundance, but I've just got life. Why? Often it's because we're not prepared to take the Word of God seriously, which commands us, strip off everything that hinders. Why? Because there's a prize and the prize is Jesus. And He's glorious. And He's so faithful. And I'm not trying to minimize or diminish your pain or brokenness or your story at all. I just want to maximize His glory, His grace, and tell you it's greater, and tell you it's higher, and that the abundant grace of God is far, 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 far greater than any pain of this world. It doesn't mean it'll just fall away. It doesn't mean it'll become nothing, but it will mean you can start running and accessing abundant life. And it has implications. Well, number one, when we strip down, sometimes we become more vulnerable. Just look at King David. He had to fight Goliath. So they put all Saul's armor, armor on him, and he's walking around like some gnome, like me in Bucky's Boots' outfit, like trying to play rugby, running on. His shirt's down to my thing. I'm like, no, this is not going to work. He takes it all off. He becomes more vulnerable, but you know what? He becomes more able to win a battle. He gets more speed. He can move. Strip down means simplify, and maybe it does mean financially. Maybe you're here and going, Mark, I want abundant life, and I believe God can provide, but I just can't get beyond my debt. My payments are, well, will you, are you prepared to strip down? Yeah. I, I've watched people who've driven big fancy cars and lived in big fancy houses prepared to go on a journey of faith to strip down in the area of lifestyle with faith. I'm not just talking out some financial principle. Like you read some financial guru and they said, pull it back, your expenses. Everyone who can work an income statement knows that. But I'm talking with faith. With faith, I'm going to step back. With faith, I'm going to disconnect from the ways of the world, and I'm going to reconnect with Jesus. And I'm going to plug into Jesus, and I'm going to trust that on the other side of this intentional decision, there is life and life abundant. Stripped down. You know what I feel like when I'm fasting? I feel like I've stripped down. I'm a worshiper. I've led worship my whole life. I wrote my first song in a number of years. This week, why? Because I've taken time out. More time than normal. I've stripped back and stripped down some stuff so that I can pursue God. It doesn't mean I stop working. It doesn't mean the phone calls stop or the phone stops or the email stops. But I've pursued God. You know what? He is faithful to your pursuit. He's not a standoffish God pushing you away. And I found, like King David, who in the height of his, his, his prestige as king, his coronation service as king, he strips off his robe that says, I am king. And he runs around, Samuel tells us, in his ephod, and he worships in humility, and he strips down in humility. When last did you strip down in humility before your God? And I know, I do it. Hey, God, I really like this, and what I need is this, and what I want is this. He says, actually, will you just strip that stuff back a bit? Will you just worship me? Will you stop thinking so little of me that you don't think I know what you need? Will you stop so thinking highly of yourself that you think you have to strategize for me, the God who made you and everything around you? Will you trust me? Because if you can't do that, I'm not sure you're going to step into abundant life. And I want for you, like I want for me, abundant life. Number two, start running. 
simple, simple formula, I think, that is a formula to life. If you're like me, when it comes to running, I'm a phenomenal procrastinator. <laughs> like, I am exceptional at it, actually. I hashtag year of the athlete six weeks ago. I haven't been for one run. Not one. Did go to one gym session, made a whole lot of promise. I apologize, Crystal, please don't judge me. And um, they ran a marathon today, so I'm not even going to look at that side. I feel quite condemned. I'm going to look at you guys. Any athletes? Henry, right? Marathons? Not lately. And, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, I'm like, the easiest way to not run is to not start. It's just the easiest way. It's just to look at it and go, 42 kilometers, 21. It's like, what are you talking about? And people do that with life. People do it with Jesus. I'm not going to start. Where do I start? Oh, the Bible, my word. Ah, so many words, so many dead guys. This okay, how many wives? It's like, what? This is a scandal. Oh, this is, oh, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start. It's just hectic. It's like, oh, he's dying all the place. He's killing animals. I mean, don't read it with the lens of an animal lover. You can't. Especially not the Old Testament. You can't. It, you won't get very far. I, I was going to make a joke, but I, I'm just trying to. I'm making light of something that's so real of all of us. We see mountains. We don't want to run at them. But God says, with a little bit of faith, you can move that mountain. So my thinking's got to change to what His Word says. But if I'm not in His Word, my thinking's not going to change. Sunday's not enough. I'm going to tell you. I can preach my guts out day after day, and you can listen, but unless you go on your personal journey of running towards Jesus, you're not going to grow. You might hold for a while. You, you might find a few helpful strategies for a while. You, you'll feel buoyed up for a while, but you're not going to grow. You're not going to become strong so that when the wind blows, you stand. I was watching our electric guitarist lead on his electric. I mean, he was standing. Yeah, that is a power stance for days. I'm like, I want a power. I'm just going to preach like this. <laughs> just this. There is so much power in this stance right now. But, 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 but unless you start your journey, not someone else. And here's the challenge. This is where the NIV puts it. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for who? Us. You have a race. I have a race. Your race is not my race, and my race is not your race. And too often, we don't run our race because we're trying to run someone else's race. And the only way I know what my race is, is I get before the King and the Father in heaven. I say, God, what's my race? What's my race now? What's, what's the next step for me? We use that language a lot at church. But I want to tell you, start running means take your next step. For some, it's get baptized. It's that simple. For some, it's get up and, and here's my reading plan. You want a reading plan? 90-day reading plan. I'll give it to you. But start somewhere. Some of you are trying to see how many boxes we ticked. And, um, but start. It's simple. Strip down. Get off the paraphernalia. Get off the things you think you need, but you know you don't. And when you come before God, He says, I need you to leave it behind so you can step into abundant life and start running. It might look like waking up half an hour earlier tomorrow and just saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I need you, the good shepherd, to lead me. I think sometimes I talk to people and they think, you're a pastor, so your prayers must be really profound. 
I want to tell you they're not much more profound than that most days. I think about people and their pains and their brokenness in this church. And if I fix my eyes on those, I am broken. But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I find courage to get up and go another day. And you will too. It takes humility. It takes stripping down. And you've got to start. And lastly, in this very, very simple preach tonight, thank you, Conrad, you can stay, <laughs> is this challenge, never quit. NIV puts it this way, run with perseverance. How was that marathon today, Krista? Was it fun? Every second of it was just delightful. Now we don't, that's not the answer I'm looking for. The Bible calls us to persevere. And there's this weird teaching sometimes in the church that come to Jesus, you'll have to do nothing. Jesus, take the wheel. You just sit in the passenger seat and he's going to drive you home. Where's that in the Bible? Show me anyway. No, the Bible challenges us, says actually uh, in this thing, and accept trials. And Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage for I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I'm going to have tribulation? Didn't even know what that meant before I became a Christian. Now I'm going to have tribulation? That sounds like, no, you're going to have that. But take courage. For I've overcome the world. Because I've overcome, you become an overcomer. But don't give up. Hagar is there, and Abraham's made, sent her out to walk, and she's got this, the boy, and she's got some water and some food, but the water and food runs out, and she's in the middle of a desert. And so she gives up. She places the boy aside and says she goes far away as a bow shot so that she wouldn't witness him dying in the heat. And she, in God's grace, breaks in and says he hears the cry of the boy. And the angel touches and touches the shoulder of, of Hagar and says he opens her eyes to the fact that there's a well just in front of her. How often are that our lives? That, that we place life under a tree and go away far enough. So if we just don't hear it dying, it's not dying. But there's life and resource just over here. God says, I want to show you the resource. I want to show you the life, the abundant life. I want to show you. Why? Because there's been too many deaths. Real deaths. Deaths. And uh, I want to tell you, principles don't set people free from addiction. A thousand apologies doesn't set people free from addiction. A greater hope sets them free from addiction. Something else to captivate people's thoughts sets them free from addiction. A grace that washes over like a mighty waterfall and never stops flowing. And when I stay under that, I am in the safest place I could ever be. That sets people free from addiction. You want to stay go the distance? Well, stop running away from your problems. I wish I could tell you, come to Jesus, all your problems go away. But the Bible actually says, face your problems. King David, first thing he had to do was face his problems, face his enemy. He put the presence of God in the center, and then he faced his problems. Will you put the God, presence of God in the center, and then face your problem? And people, we don't, uh, 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 I'm a Christian now, I have to be nice, so I just don't like having confrontational conversations. No rubbish. Biblically, if we trust God, if we honor, if we hold and keep holding to this, confrontation must lead to life because it leads to Jesus because it gets us to the other side in relationships, get to the other side of confrontation. That's a real relationship. There's maturity comes to both sides. And now God says, actually, I want you to face up to your problems. Oh, my marriage is just like a dry well. Well, have you faced up to your problems? 
had the tough elephants in the room conversations. It's been the greatest breakthroughs of my marriage. For me, I'm a verbalizer. I can speak and will speak. My wife writes letters. When I get a letter, it's an important thing. And lastly, fight. Fight for your life. Ephesians 6 is actually put on the full armor of God. Put it on, the full armor. Oh, but I like this one. I'm not sure I like this one. No, you need the full armor of God. You can protect your arms for all days, but if your heart gets shot, you're done. You need the full armor of God. So this is my provocation to you, a simple strategy to accessing abundant life. Number one, strip down. Start running. And never quit. Can we stand together? Because this, Mark, like you, I actually, I listened to preaching for many years of my life. Actually, the guy who preached most of those preachers was in the city venue tonight where I preached. I listened. And often I used to go, that sounds so good. I'd love some of that. But I don't know how that works. I want to just read to you from David's revelation of the Good Shepherd. Psalm 23. Can you close your eyes maybe for a second? Maybe you know the psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. David knew who his shepherd was. Maybe a simple question to you tonight. Who's your shepherd? Who's leading you? Are you leading you? Someone else's voice leading you. Fear may be leading you. David knew who his shepherd was, and he makes the statement, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's a premise to the promise of lacking nothing. It's that the Lord is my shepherd. Will you make the Lord your shepherd tonight? Number two, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You need to lie down. Ah, but I'm fit and I'm young and I'm resilient. Yeah, I thought that too, many times. But I needed a shepherd who made me lie down. And then who leads me beside quiet waters. You see, sheep, they don't find water easily in desert land. They need a shepherd. But here's the implication of that statement as I've read it over and over again. My own life, I've realized. He just leads me beside quiet waters. He doesn't make me drink. You can come to church for all your life and never drink of Jesus. You can read the word every day and not drink of Jesus. Will you drink? He'll lead you. But will you drink? And lastly, in the verse 3, the last one I'm going to read, says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Maybe you've gone along the wrong paths. Maybe you're on the wrong path right now. You need a shepherd. A shepherd who is faithful, who is kind. See, this shepherd, the picture of a shepherd was someone, he would leave the sheep safe in a safe environment, then he would walk in the middle of the night and he would clear brambles away from the path and he would make sure that there was enough salt, there was enough water, there was enough sustenance, enough resources to walk those sheep through the heat of the day and he would come back and the next day he would start the journey and he would lead them. 
but he'd prepared the way. We have a Savior who came to this earth and he prepared the way. He walked the streets. He came to the swallows of a womb into this life so that he wasn't some far off distant God who didn't know the paths that we need. No, he knows the paths. He says, will you trust me not as some religious act of worship? Will you trust me as your Savior, as your King, as your Shepherd? Will you humble yourself? Why? Because maybe, just maybe, you'll find peace. You'll find life. You'll find abundance. You'll find grace. You'll find kindness. You'll find glory. You'll find joy. It's all found in Jesus. His eyes are closed tonight. I pray, God, move, Spirit of God, if you don't know who your shepherd is, if you you haven't said, Jesus, you are my shepherd, I want to pray with you tonight that the shepherd's hand would come upon your life. Not the hands of the church and not the hands of a leader, but the shepherd's hands would come upon your life. Hands of grace and joy and freedom and life and, and life where there is death. If you haven't made that decision, will you make that decision tonight?